Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we've got Matt Manzer, who is the global product manager of Atomic Ski Boots, back on Gear 30 for yet another very deep dive. And if you haven't listened to all of our previous six deep dive episodes, well then seriously, I think maybe you need to ask yourself, do you even care about gear, like at all? Anyway, this time around, we are doing something that we haven't done before, which is drill down deep on Atomic's lineup of boots for this upcoming season. And of course, along the way, we jump down various rabbit holes and break off on many tangents that will offer some significant insight into ski boots in general. Oh, and for the many of you who have written in to complain that there was not enough whiskey involved in Matt and my last conversation, well, you're welcome. Now, just a couple of notes before we get going. First, registration for the Blister Summit is open, and we will include a link to the show notes in this episode for the summit. Now, Kristen Sinat's husband and my good friend, Patrick, told me that the last time I mentioned the summit, I didn't actually explain what the event was, but I would counter that if you are so incurious that when we tell you that this is an event that we are certain that you will want to be at, and then you don't even take the next step to click on the link in the show notes of this episode or go to the navigation bar of our website where it very clearly says Blister Summit, well, then honestly, maybe you really just are not cut out for the summit and it's better that maybe you just don't come. But for the rest of you who have the curiosity, that Aristotelian sense of Thalmadzine, to click the link, well, then you are going to learn about this very kick-ass new event in the ski world that anybody who is about to listen to a two-hour conversation about ski boots, well, that is the type of person that will 100% want to be at this event. So there. Patrick, was that better? And one other thing, whether you are coming out to the Blister Summit or you are planning to come out to Crested Butte this winter to do some skiing or snowboarding or cross-country skiing or fat biking or igloo tiddlywink playing, I don't know, there are now additional flights into the Gunnison Crested Butte Regional Airport, abbreviation GUC, and that is located in Gunnison, and that is the closest airport to Crested Butte. And once you land, you can catch a shuttle up to Crested Butte or Mount Crested Butte, which is where Blister headquarters are located and the ski area is. And then thanks to a phenomenal free public bus system here, you truly do not need to rent a car for your stay. So we are going to include a link in the show notes of this episode that you can click to check out the most current flight schedules into Gunnison. And so check that out, then let us know you're heading this way, and then come take some laps with us, or check out Blister HQ, and in fact, I had a Blister member just today that I hung out with at 5pm in HQ, Greg, shout out, that was a good conversation, thanks. So again, we got multiple things for you to check out in the links to the show notes of this episode, and then we'll see you out here. Finally, this episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Gear West, which is located in Long Lake, Minnesota. And 
very relevant to the conversation that we are going to be having here today. Gear West is going to be carrying the new Atomic Professional boots that Matt and I are talking about here and that we really dove into in our previous very deep dive on ski boots. That was part six. Gear West is expecting to be receiving these boots sometime in October, so follow Gear West on Facebook or Instagram to find out exactly when they will arrive. Now, Gear West also has an excellent online store, but these professional series boots, which do require a good boot fitter, will only be available for in-store purchase. So if you live in the Long Lake or the Greater Twin Cities region, you are in luck. And with three MasterFit certified boot fitters and four additional quality boot fitters, Gear West will get your boots dialed. And one final pro tip here, given the shortages of products expected from Europe this year, the staff at Gear West recommends shopping early, either in person or online at gearwest.com, then getting the items fitted and sized, and then making the purchase. Because products aren't going to last long on those shelves. So buy early or expect to wait a little bit. That's going to be the situation for every shop everywhere this year. And now, with all that said, it is time for Me and Manzer, Volume 7. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's the current situation. It is 3 p.m. Mountain Time which in Austrian time, whatever we call, what do we call Austrian time, Matt? So uh, here in Austria, we are on central uh, European time. So that's eight hours in the future. <laughs> yeah. Where you are. So it is now 3 p.m. my time, 11 p.m. Matt's time. Full disclosure, we've actually been on this call for three hours already. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My Friday is shot. There is and actually mine is in full swing. Yeah. Yeah. I was worried this was going to happen. I came down to my little podcast recording studio with a just a tiny little dram of Whistlepig 12-year-old whiskey because I had not eaten any food today. And I was like, I know Matt is going to be, you know, prepared. But then we ended up talking for 3 hours. And things Just catching are, up as guys on a Friday night will. It's not. Right? It's my work day, Matt. Yeah. So anyway, um, but again, current situation. We had a really interesting conversation about like the present World Cup DH scene and situation. And in fact, we now have an upcoming Bikes and Big Ideas podcast that we are looking to do together. Matt will be in on that one and we'll have a special guest that we'll be working on getting. So we got that accomplished in the last three hours. We have caught up a bit. We have had some more whiskey. <laughs> I, ran right. out, I ran out of my Whistlepig 12-year, and so I have transitioned to Whistlepig 15-year-old rye. Matt is bringing the heat as well on his end. What are you currently drinking? I am currently on a scotch. So I'm more of a scotch guy. So I got the Balvenie single barrel sherry cask 15 year old and i so this is i keep like telling a matt, single cask one type of thing very very nice stuff i keep telling matt i'm not really a scotch guy and he keeps telling me i need to try this particular whiskey i think for the bourbons that you like like this is a, a really nice compliment 
something like this. Something non-peated, something sherry cask matured is right up your alley. Okay. Anyway, um, Matt, it's great to, you know, be doing this again. I, I am still a little upset that my Friday just got blown to bits. But um, sometimes, you know, it's just how things unfold. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Where I want to get started is actually with a previous Gear 30 conversation that we just had recently, because I know you listened to it and I wanted to get your thoughts. You listened to my conversation with Bodie Miller, where we really dove into the weeds on some boot stuff. And I was very interested to learn what you thought of Bodie's take on ski boots. Yeah, super interesting stuff. I mean, obviously, Bodie um, at one point was an atomic athlete, I think in the like middle 2000s era, super successful speed athlete for the brand and had a lot of input on, on ski building, as he mentioned. Also, with the, on the boot side, you know, him and Darren were, as along with Herman and the rest of the, the team, um, very influential with the evolution of the, the race tech series of ski boots at the time, which actually still exists today in their unchanged form. It is now under the name of the Redster TI. It is the same boot that that he and Darren uh, used to ski on. So yeah, really interested to see what he said at the time about, you know, boots and how that kind of conversation evolved. And to hear him, you know, talk about what he liked about the uh, the original full tilt, like the Reikley, the true Reikley mold and how that appealed to him was, uh, I thought, you know, honestly, a very interesting take on ski boots and specifically what he was looking for in a, in a boot. Is that really all you got? I feel like you're being diplomatic now. Well, that was like a three minute, like just here we go. Here we go. Oh, this is the warm up. That was the, this, yeah. now we're getting to the entree. Okay. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, he, you know, it was interesting to see or hear, um, you know, w- when I look at a boot, what I'm looking for, you know, certain characteristics of fit, comfort, performance, damping, responsiveness, all these things, you know, through through my interpretation of skiing and how, you know, my, my limitations of how good a skier I am compared to a, a skier like Bodhi you know, who is just, you know, so next level compared to me that I was genuinely interested in to hear what he had to say about the full tilt and what it, how it appealed to him. And he had kind of mentioned that the boot that he liked allowed him to flex, you know, kind of straight down the ski. If I understood him correctly, like just flex straight forward without it, you know, turning him medially or guiding him laterally, all these things. And yeah, for what he's saying, I guess it could totally make sense for how he skis and what he's looking for out of what he's looking to get out of a boot. Because so many athletes, you know, especially at his level of the game, they're looking for a very specific setup that works for them. And not only works for them, allows them to be better than everybody else in the world by a fraction of a second. So for me, it was just pure boot nerdery of what, you know, what he was looking for. Because obviously when I joined the company uh, in 2010, 
he had since parted ways with the brand. So I never really got a chance to connect with, with him on a atomic athlete level. Um, so for me to hear that kind of stuff was, was super interesting. And you see it, like you see that level of detail with, like I said, with a lot of our top athletes. And sometimes athletes want something very different from what Bodhi wants. Like, for example, when, when Marcel was skiing for us, some of his boots were actually pigeon-toed, like in, interfacing the binding toe-in. Like, they actually, the boot technicians, the wizards that we have in Altenmarkt, they were literally reshaping the toe lug, grinding material away, adding material to get the boot to be literally pigeon-toed while in the binding which is very different from what Bodhi was describing for him. And now obviously Marcel is not a speed athlete. Right. For, of course. I know I'm sitting here thinking like, well, does that, does that actually kind of make sense if you're trying to be the best slalom skier of all time? You know, he- and, and to GS and, you know, to his credit, he did do some super G events. Um, but, you know, every athlete is looking for what makes sense to them. And quite often people say, and I'm a, a victim of this when I set up my mountain bike suspension and I listen to like what Minar is doing. He's talking to Jordy. He's doing this and that. And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to get out my shock pump and start twisting some dials on my fork. I like knowing what the athletes do. And I know ski racers of all walks, of all abilities, love hearing what how the athletes set up their boots. Like it's going to give them advantage against their buddies. You know, and it couldn't be farther from the truth, you know, um, just nobody, unless you're getting a paycheck from a brand, like you're just not good enough to like set your boot up the way a Marcel is, you know, it's just, it doesn't work. His body's built differently than mine or yours. And his, his natural ability is unfathomable and he's just in tune with his setup in a way that just we will never achieve. But we can say, oh, we set our boot ups like this or that, like like the superstars do. It makes us feel better. And it's cool. It's super fun to tinker. But you wouldn't believe the stuff these guys and girls do to their boots, to their skis for a race run. You know, um, like one of the things Bodhi actually used to do, I was talking to the binding guys about this recently because of this conversation. And they were mentioning that you know, uh, it, maybe he didn't do this all the time, but it, at a certain point in his career, you know, the binding AFD had like a male groove made into it that interfaced with a female groove in the toe lug of his binding or his boot. Like he was literally like clicked in in a way that was very aggressive and very direct in a way that we would never do that. But these are the things that this is the type of person who feels these things and needs like literally needs the gear to be set up that way and i, I just love hearing whoever the athlete is whatever yeah. the gear they're using you know just insight into their world i think is just incredibly interesting yeah so that conversation you have with Bodhi about a full tilt you know, even me as a, a atomic product manager i was interested in what he had to say hmm. i thought it was just a super good conversation and uh no matter who's giving insight mm-hmm. at that level, it's just good to hear about it, I think. I mean, this season, I'm definitely going to 
punch coffee cans into the back of my boots and figure well, you should do front and rear i think go <laughs> next level yeah. wow just turn my boots into like a 210 flex <laughs> go like two yes. two sheets of folgers coffee can up front well you know this is it's it's funny to say that but it's, it's really true stuff that was happening aj kit did that to his boots back in the day um, like the guy who taught me about boot fitting was, was AJ Kitt's boot fitter back in the day. And he's like, yeah, we were lit- literally riveting metal into boots to get them stiff enough. And when, when atomic actually, when we wanted to evolve the race tech boot into what was the first generation redster that had carbon fiber up the back of the boot, we were doing that because huh. the athletes were adding fiberglass to the back of a race tech boot. Huh. Like all of this stuff, you know, I'm not, I don't know if Bodie specifically did that because it's before my time, but Darren had it on some of his boots. Herman did, you know, we were looking for ways to add material in a certain way to a certain part of the boot that gave stability, that gave literal acceleration to the boot, but didn't mess up the suppleness to the front. Yeah. You see these things come to life in a production model in a certain way, but it's all coming from the wizardry and the sorcery that our boot techs do in the back, you know, just to get fractions of a second faster, or, you know, sometimes it's just give the athlete the confidence he or she needs to perform at the absolute limits of, of skiing. All right, Matt. Well, listen, we've already talked to each other way too long today already. So I think we just need to get down to the business at hand. And that business is to, do something we've never done before in all of our however many long conversations we've done now on Gear 30. But that is to actually have you walk us through kind of the whole atomic boot lineup for this upcoming season. And I thought this would just be interesting, again, because we've never done it, but to hear you tell people a bit like, here's the boots over in this kind of series And here's who, as designers, we're really intending, you know, this type of skier to be over here and this type of skier to be over here. And I want to see how well you do this. (laughs) So it's really just about my personal curiosity. Especially today. Um, Right. Right. On zero food. And it's, you know. Yeah, just and just so people are aware, I had a bagel today. Yep. Like today, I, even though it's Friday and we're like, hey, weekend, yay. Like it's we've had such like a full speed week at work that I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation because it's like the like a level of normalcy. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and just like kind of like just a good kind of this is how I'm coming down huh. from this week is to have have this conversation. So wow. this is your level of normalcy. Yeah, that's well, that's saying something. So when you look at the atomic range. We, from a brand, we like to talk about things in terms of, you know, playgrounds. Where are you skiing on the mountain? Because quite often that means you're looking for certain features to your boot, certain aspects that will just make your day better. And so to get the right positioning of, you know, what boot's right for you, we kind of start out of where are you skiing? Are you going, are you primarily just skiing in the gates? Do you need a boot that allows you to go uphill? You know, some of these obvious questions between a normal boot and a touring boot will kind of become more um, flushed out when you look at the playground behind it. And so we tend to break things down between boots you would use on piste, boots you would use for kind of 
all mountain as a very vague general category, and then touring. And so if you look at kind of, if you took all the ski boots, you could at least kind of place them in those three categories in a, a meaningful way that kind of allowed a discussion to happen. Because as you said, you know, we've got a pretty big catalog. I think there's 120 boots. Holy cow. In the atomic range, you know? Wait. If you count up all the models. Yep. All, all the, the families. All the colorways. All the sizes? No, no. Models. Dear Lord. Before you go down the size route, just getting into models. So it's a really big range that we have. And so if you're starting from zero, we like to say, okay, before we talk about how good of a skier you are, um, let's sure. say at least where do you want to go on the map? Very good. So everybody's always a very good skier. Right. You'll never talk to a bad skier. I right? ski with two Folger coffee cans in the front of my boot. Double black diamonds all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing less. But if we say, hey, I am looking for a boot that has the the most amount of downhill performance, what do you got, Atomic? And, you know, given our racing heritage we've got some pretty killer boots. If you're looking to have absolute stability at speed, confidence at any speed and incredible precision in your skiing. And I think we're the, actually the only brand uh, and to my knowledge that actually has three different mold series, not just lasts, but mold series within racing. Hmm. So we have our, our Redster TI, which is, TI stands for Team Issue. Uh, it's just a name that's been around since the mid-2000s. Um, and that is the boot that primarily the male athletes at Atomic ski on. So if you are a larger, taller, stronger skier, you tend to gravitate towards the TI. We have a boot called the STI. The Redster STI stands for Slim Team Issue. Oh, no. So... Yeah, oh, no. you can imagine that's getting narrower, lower volume. But the STI is unique in that it's actually built with a, for World Cup racing, a thin wall thickness. Hmm. So this, this boot is designed for lighter weight skiers, shorter skiers, smaller skiers. Generally speaking, our female athletes mm -hmm. ski the STI. So we're the only racing brand that actually has boots built for different sized racers. Not just sizes, but we literally took into consideration the wall thickness based on just the physics behind it. Yeah. How big you are, yeah. how strong are you? You know, so you could be an absolute ripping skier, but because you weigh 110 pounds and you're five foot nothing, a, a normal, typical World Cup level ski boot, which is designed for someone who's over six foot, 200 pounds, is completely overkill for you. You just won't be able to flex it and bend it the right way. And therefore, you won't be able to make the turn that you're looking to make. So, so by the way, how slim is slim? My when I said, "Oh no," it's because I kind of it hurt me, like imagining trying to ski this boot that would probably be crushing. But like, what is sort of the range of the lasts, or in a, a what? What would even be your standard or kind of start size be for the STI boot? Assuming it's for a small foot, I could imagine you. Does it work that you would go with like a 22.5 or 23.5 and then start, you know, building out your widths on that or all sizes in that boot are the same last? How does that work? Um, normally, we start with size 26. 
Even for the STI? Nope. I'll just say, generally speaking, anatomic, we start with a size 26. That's usually what we call the green light size. That's sample size for men. That's the first size to get dialed in. So we spend a year, roughly, trying to perfect that size. Then we make the other sizes over the next year before it's launched almost two years later from start to finish. But with racing, we tend to start with the main athlete we're focusing on, to be honest. And um, when Marcel was with us, usually we started with size 25 because that's the shell size that he used. Um, I can't, because I wasn't with the company when the TI was started, I'm not quite sure if it was 26 or 25. I'd probably guess it was 26 just because of being thinking of Herman and, and Benny, uh, Benny Reich um, back then. So it was probably a 26 that was developed in the 2002-2003 season. Um, but STI was purposely built for Marley's shield. Hmm. So Marley's shield Reich, Benny's now wife. So she was our female superstar at the time. She just absolutely crushed it. And we knew that someone who's just built like Marley's was struggling with the TI. It's just too stiff of a boot, too thick, too burly. And it was built around her size first, which I believe was 24. Okay. Yeah. It might have been, might have been 23, but I'm pretty sure it was 24. Um, so that was the starting point for that boot. But everything is, tends to be scaled and designed from the first point at size 26. So whenever you hear Atomic, and most other brands are this way, but definitely true for Atomic, when we talk about, oh, it's a 98 millimeter boot or it's a 100, that is only true on size 26. Right. That's the reference size for that last width. And so for a Redster STI in size 26, the reference um, size for the millimeter four foot width is 93 millimeters. And there are some other brands that say, oh, ours, our race boots 92. I still guarantee our boots narrower. Guarantee. O- only because four foot width is telling you one parameter. Yep. Got it. Of a, com- a very big puzzle. Yep. That is a ski boot last. And you could have a 93 millimeter boot where the last on the side of the foot, just imagine it coming straight down to the boot board, you know, or it's 93 millimeters at the center of the metatarsal heads, but it's rounding under the foot and kind of cupping it. That's a narrower 93 than if it just kind of came straight straight down, down, Yep. you know? So just because you know, it's 92 or 93 or 95, whatever, it doesn't really convey how the boot's going to fit, of course. It's just a starting point. It's just giving you an idea of what to expect. It's giving you an idea of how much boot fitting you should expect to invest mm-hmm. into this. I think I'm going to start a boot company. We're going to do like last based on the heel. We're going to go a different direction. It's time to switch this up. Good luck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't You don't want to be part of my new company? No. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, well, you could. I mean, honestly... You can measure our heel width. Like it's. You don't tell us. You guys don't tell us that though. We talked about this on the Blister Summit. I was arguing for, like we do with skis, we talk about tail width, waist width, tip width. I was making the case at the summit about this and I got waved off. Yeah. Well, I would say there's a different measurement that's more important. 
Um, but let's let's say you want to talk about heel width. I do. Okay, where? Where on the heel are we measuring from? The widest and part, how, just like on a ski tail. At the bottom, the middle, or the top of the heel pocket? Damn it. Uh, I don't know, but he, give me a little, so here, little more whiskey and I'll ski, have the answer. Yeah, so unlike a ski, you know, you, you know, a ski is, yes, a 3D shape, but you can put some calipers on the, the tail. Mm, I know yeah. that's 100 whatever, you know. A heel is a 3D round, semi-spherical, bulbous shape <laughs> in the back of the boot, yeah. right? If you just said, okay, measure the widest spot, I guarantee you our heel measurement versus heads or langs, whatever, they're not in the same position. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get different measurements and it's going to be pretty confusing. Honestly, even four foot width is this way. Exactly. You're but, all, you're, but, but it's, but you're it's making my argument. Bit, yeah. But it's, it's a li- but it's easier, but that that's why the industry has kind of settled on it is that's, it's one of the easier ones to measure. Personally, for me, I think instep height is more important than than heel width. I wouldn't for be, holding yeah. holding your foot down in the back of the boot. Yeah, like just and I didn't realize this until I got to Atomic. You know how important instep height is for heel hold. Yeah, and at the same time, keeping your toes away from the front of the boot, it, it, it's almost all about yeah instep height. Yeah, and not just you know. Then the next question is, well, what do you? What am I defining as instep height? Is it the vertical height, you know, at the certain position of the boot? Or is it the diagonal measurement from the bottom of the heel up to the instep height? No, I don't like that Which both are important, and we can both measure them. But again, the starting point for Atomic is not the same for other brands. It's just, it's too too fluidy and... That's, organic of a measurement that's not a, a word whatever word you just flu, fluid fluidity not fluidity fluid e fluidity that's definitely not fluid. a word we can dude we're both philosophy guys we can make words up <laughs> we're gonna define stuff all right you know if kant can have his own dictionary we can have ours i hate kant for the record <laughs> i really do sorry how are we friends how is this a thing mm. yeah i really don't know kant's the worst <laughs> terrible writer have you read him in german no why would I? Nightmare. Yeah. Well, I mean, what the fuck? Absolute nightmare. Like philosophy students in German read Kant in English to figure out what the hell was being said. Yeah, I'm out on that. Then guy. they go back to the German. Like just, just no. And then don't even get me started on Hegel. Like, that's just a nightmare onto itself. Trying to understand that. Do you know that as an undergrad, I did an independent study where I outlined the entirety of Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit. Bullshit. I did. Hundred percent true. And I bet it made no sense. Yeah, not I re- because you're. Not, <laughs> well, that has no knock against you. I probably warrants it as being a knock against me. But yeah, like why on earth I wanted to do that at the Dude, time? Brutal. Brutal. The entire phenomenon. hundred. Yeah, the entire book. Because I was just so, like, this thing is like insane. Let me like actually try to break it down and like, it was just like a. It was actually kind of like a really stupid puzzle but i was like as like an undergraduate i'm gonna do this i'm gonna yeah exactly i told i understand where you're coming from but it's just that's so dumb i would never yeah (laughs) so in grad school i had a semester of just spirit just the chapter on spirit wow no even then i was like what did i get my fucking self into here like dude i'm out on con that's not gonna tapped out on on the on that side yep anyway heel width instep height all valid points to measure a boot from because they're real you could 
Well, you could measure the heel width, but to get me and Tor and Stefano and everybody else to align on saying where we're going to measure the heel width from, uh, yeah. good luck. Yeah. That's just not going to happen. That's all right. For no reason other than it's just too difficult because it's just maybe Tor's opinion on where to measure the heel from is different than mine. And it's just where, where are you going to measure it from? And then someone's going to look weirder compared to somebody else. Yeah. There's there's more important things we can do than figure out that. I think that's why no one's really done it yet, to be honest. Hmm. There's bigger fish to fry. Already 30 minutes into this conversation, I'm sort of back into thinking like, I can't believe ski boots work at all. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's kind of amazing when you're like, well... It's, it's a wonder that we got this far. Yeah, it really kind of is. Okay, where are we going next? Well, so talking about STI and TI... So these we we have two dedicated World Cup boots, different molds and different lasts, and we have a third member in the Redster family called Redster CS Club Sport. All of these names just have you know a long pedigree of history with Atomic, so that's kind of why they're still around. But Club Sport is a boot that um, has evolved from racing, you could say. Carries a lot of the DNA in terms of geometry, wall thickness. Um, body positioning, plastic materials, liner construction that the STI and the TI have, but just built on a more quote-unquote comfortable platform. There's a lot more anatomical shaping into the last in terms of heel width, ankle position, instep height, forefoot width, how the toe box is constructed. You know, it's just trying to give um, a lot of the performance attributes that the, the TI and the STI have, but to a boot that you don't need to spend 12 hours with your boot fitter yeah. grinding, yeah. generally speaking, you know, I know you and I are kind of blessed with narrowish feet that can work in most boots. Um, I can almost ski a CS boot out of the box. I think now I'm just getting more fussy with being comfortable. So I do a little bit of grinding around the navicular for my foot and I'm good to go. I probably could ski it out of the box and be fine. I know you've had a boot to test. Um, did you do any boot work to your CS so far? Nope. I always you know? say no because then it makes you so mad. Well, you just, I guess that's just badass points, right? I can ski a CS boot out of the box. I'm there super badass, Matt. Pro so badass. Prove it every time you ask if I had any work done on the latest boot. I'm like, nope. So have you ever skied it? Or are you just. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I definitely want to get but, more. I definitely want to get more time in it. But often, like my my feet tend to work well enough with a twenty six five in a lot of boots that to me, if it's kind of close, I want to see what happens if and when the liner starts packing out before I start grinding around on stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not saying that's the right way or best way. It's just kind of what I do. Sure. So on paper, a club sport is ninety six millimeters wide at the at the forefoot on a size 26 and a ti is 95 so if you're just looking at like a geometry chart on on the internet or on paper you're like oh it's only one millimeter different why did atomic make why did atomic invest close to a million euros on a boot that's just one millimeter different great question you know? but if you were to put on a ti i guarantee you could not ski out of the box mm -hmm. because because for Four foot width is just yeah. one yeah. parameter in this. It's going to be a lower instep. 
way tighter in the navicular and ankle area and just lower volume in general kind of thing. And the reason that boot, you know, we've made different lasts, prototype lasts for TI, like thinking, oh, you guys are always, the boot techs are always grinding here. So why not? How about I just give this to you so you can just, it's still a 95 millimeter boot. Don't get me wrong. It's it's not like you can just hop in and go, but the athletes are like, no, don't like it. Like they just, they like the starting point of existing TI and existing STI, even if they have to spend whatever time with the boot fitter or technician grinding and stretching and doing their thing, whether that's mental or, you know, a real thing, whatever it is, we still stuck with the, the original last for both of those boots. And that's just the way it's been for the last, you know, wow, 17 years plus with a TI, you know, and, um, but back to the point, it's only one millimeter different. It's not just one millimeter different, you know, it's just, it's a whole different animal. And so you, so if I send you a Redster TI in 26 and guys say, go ski out of the box, you'll make one run before you just go back and say, well, we, we need to do some boot work. Yep. And that's no fault to the boot. It's just that category of boot. It's always better to start too tight than a fraction of a millimeter too loose. Always. So when you're at that Bodhi level tuned into your boot and you need the boot to behave exactly the way you want it to be, it's going to be too narrow to start with on purpose. And your technician and you are going to spend the time. It's not going to be a single trip to the boot fitter. It's going to be multiple revisits to fine tune and perfect that. How many people are skiing like that Redster TI who aren't active racers at whatever level, right? They're, they're not racing. They're just recreational skiers. And I, I just, I guess I'm curious. And like the, the next question is, and are those people in that boot then like basically never getting off of groomers? Like, is anybody using that as a true all mountain boot, like skiing bumps, skiing steeps, et cetera? Yes, but I would say most people are in the CS yeah. for that. Club sport, CS yeah, club, club sport. sport. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I believe you have a tester or two on the TI. Drew Kelly. Right? You know? Yeah. So he's skiing some big wide skis all over the place. I forgot because, that. Sorry, Drew. Yep. Yeah, but because he's, one, he comes from a racing background. He's used to the feel, the behavior of that kind of boot. So those are the people that tend to use it as an all-mountain boot. You get very few people who enter the boot conversation saying, I'm looking for an all-mountain boot. What do you recommend? And the boot fitter goes, the TI yeah. is the best thing for it. Yeah. Like, that's not the normal path. Yeah. <laughs> but when you get people who have a racing background, it's hard to get them into anything but that. Anything feels sloppy or something you know, even, by comparison. Even a, you know, a narrow-fit Hawks Ultra they feel like they have no control, which is crazy. Oh, it's not crazy, but it's it's just abnormal to think that way. Because that, for most people, is already too tight, too narrow for most people buying boots. So the true Kellys of the world, anybody who was an X-Racer, so Darren, you know, Darren Reynolds, 
Bodhi. You know, Bodhi still skis at size 27 with a 29 foot. You, you can't take that away once you're used to it. So the people who really do ski an STI or a TI as their quote unquote all mountain boot, they're not masochists because they would never be able to, they, no one grabs those boots and just puts them on out of the box and goes and suffers all day. Everybody has their boot fit to them in that category. So it's just a matter of, are you looking for that type of performance? Are you willing to spend that type of time with your boot fitter? And that, do you have that level of boot fitter in your area is sometimes part of the hang up, you know? Um, for a lot of people, they just don't. So they, they never get exposed to a, a TI or even a CS in the range. Um, but if you look to the Freeride World Tour, for example, most of the athletes, not just Atomic, but most athletes are in a Redster CS level boot or racier, you know, whether it's um, yeah, Raina Barkerid, you know, he's in a Lang World Cup boot. You know, most of the atomic athletes are in a Redster CS. I think only Aymar Navarro is in an ultra extended. And even then he's bouncing between CS and huh. ultra extended, depending what he's doing. Um, Ari Dracomi is in a Redster CS. You know, it, it's all about what your what level of precision, what level of performance are you looking for? And then at some point in the conversation, sometimes weight kind of comes in. Some people who are, you know, I spend half my day hiking around looking for snow. A two and a half kilo boot is just unappealing. Yeah. I just don't, I don't want to start there. Yep. Give me something more humane, <laughs> you know, <laughs> more humane. Uh, <laughs> but it, it all depends kind of these conversations of not just fit, but also of comfort of performance and how much time do you want to spend with your boot fitter to get this dialed in and working for your foot? For some feet, it's just simply not possible. You know, you got some people that just have absolute hobbit feet. You might want to be in a Redster STI or a TI. It's just not in the cards for you, you know? And this is also what you see at the World Cup level. Natural selection kind of starts to, has already taken effect. You know, by the time you're skiing World Cup, you are not seven foot six. You know, you do not have a 115 millimeter wide foot in size 26. It just, you've, you've left the conversation at a certain point before that, you know, um, just because physics is fighting against you. Even if we made a World Cup level boot that was 110 millimeters wide. Called the TI Hobbit. The TI Hobbit, the TI Frodo. The Frodo Pro. Frodo Pro, there it is. The Frodo Pro. You're gonna boot out. Yeah. You know, you're gonna lean the ski over and you're gonna be dragging the whole lateral side of your boot in the snow. Even if you're a good skier, at some point, unfortunately, natural selection in World Cup racing is gonna remove you from the equation because your boot is dragging every turn and making you slower than somebody else. So we, I often get asked the question, why don't we make a 100 or 102 millimeter race boot? Well, part of it's just there's only a certain amount of hours in the day, and we do make a few other boots, and we're trying to do some other things. But it's like how many people who are racing, quote unquote, could use that? 
it's always this argument of will we see the return or won't we at a, at a level it becomes it goes back to business you know um for right now we're pretty happy with the the three redster molds we've made and the three hawks molds we've made to kind of cover a lot of skiers and sure we could maybe in the future make something a little bit wider uh in the cs world uh, but for right now we our whole range looking at it holistically we think the puzzle pieces fit kind of pretty good together where are we going next um sip taking a sip the decision to go ti or sti you're usually wearing a speed suit you're in the gates like you live over in legit racing category let's look at skiers like you and me do i go do i choose between a redster cs and a hawks ultra both you know relatively anatomically shaped narrow boots that if you fit one you can usually fit the other so where do we go and when we have a boot like a redster cs you start to now pay attention to not just the fit but you might pay attention to the weight of the boot you might pay attention to the sole that the boot has is it a replaceable sole or a solid sole meaning like a racing solid lug no replaceable sole boot like a cs versus an ultra that has at least screwed on grip pads and it allows you to go between alpine norm and grip walk you know these are the kind of things that now Ignoring fit for a second, there are somewhat meaningful features that might steer you one way or the other. And, you know, me personally, I'm pretty spoiled. I have a few boots at my disposal. I could easily grab a Hawks Ultra or a Redster Club Sport and be super happy any day of the week. I've been tending to spend more time in a Club Sport, given some of the testing that we're doing. Um, future projects, but you know, now that I, you know, you know, five years ago, I spent all my time in an ultra extended. Then, as we make you know a new boot each year, you know, I, I do have to spend a lot of time skiing the new boot that we're making to make sure it achieves what we want it to achieve. So, I spent a lot of time in an ultra extended. I recently spent a lot of time in the new Hawks Ultra that is coming to market for 21, 22, and now also in a club sport and really bouncing between those three boots that fit me. I hardly ever ski a Hawks Prime or a Hawks Magna simply because my foot, I would need to wear like a sneaker inside those to make it work for my foot shape. So, <laughs> so for me, being a narrow footed skier, I can pick between a Redster CS and a Hawks Ultra. So for those of you listening to this and be like, hey, I'm kind of in the same boat. Do I go ultra? Do I go club sport? You just have to ask yourself, does weight matter to you? Because it's it's almost 700 grams, I think, the difference between per boot between a, a new ultra and a club sport. You know, does that matter? Do, do you care about that kind of stuff? Yes or no? It can kind of lead you one way or the other having a heavier boot, having a boot that just has more mass to it, you can treat that like point, click and shoot, plow style skiing. It's like no matter what comes in front of you, 
between bumpy terrain, moguls, small trees. You can just kind of plow right through it. But there is a weight penalty. Yep. And that just that could matter for some people. So if you are looking for, you know, a boot that, you know, I just don't want to lug that around from turn to turn, I do want something more nimble, lighter weight that kind of has a bit more energy yep. loading the boot up, going from turn to turn. You know, I'm boot packing a lot, so that weight does matter yep. to me. You know, you could go more ultra, Hawks Ultra, than Club Sport. And especially now for 21-22, this is a brand new Hawks Ultra where we've added a lot of material to crucial spots on the shell and the cuff to make it more substantial, make it more stable, honestly give it a better skiing performance than the first generation. So the new Hawks Ultra for 21-22 kind of closes the gap, sits a little bit in between where Generation 1 Hawks Ultra used to sit and where Club Sport currently sits. Would you agree with that kind of definition? You mean given my time in the boot? Yeah. Well, the only complicating factor is the liner that I've skied the new boot with. So I think that's a variable. And, you know, and like by the time I got that boot and got on the mountain in that boot, like mm-hmm. I've only skied it in the professional liner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to talk about that. So like, sure. so I would say sure. like, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, but, mm-hmm. but there is that caveat that I think is important enough to note or mention. Sure. So what do you, is this the right time? Or I guess we do it. Talk a little bit about sure. the, the liner variable. So before we go to liner variable, okay. just looking at the shell, Yeah. you know, when, one of the things you guys do, and I think it's very rightly so, is you give the weights for the boot without a liner, yeah. so just the shell and buckles and everything. If you compare it to that ultra to a CS, it's a big weight difference. You know, I, th- I would imagine it's in relation given the liner weights because the liners are equally built like in a similar ratio, but it gives you insight as to just how much plastic is in a CS. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you look at the plastic thickness of a CS, it kind of falls in between an STI and a TI. It's a little closer to STI. So it's still like a World Cup level thickness to the boot. And I would argue our Redster CS is much thicker than other brands kind of commercial race boot, Hmm. like a non-World Cup. So if you look at like a Lang RS Mm -hmm. or a Head Raptor and its new evolutions, anybody's commercial boot, I would would place a small bet to say our boot is a little more substantial, only because I know the wall thickness of the boot. It's really solid. So a CS boot tends to live a little closer to like the World Cup side than to the commercial side kind of thing. And when you look at it in that frame of reference, sometimes that might help steer you one way or the other. Like I, I really, do, I really think the CS is a boot that if you really wanted the ultimate in performance, but just didn't want to spend all those hours with your boot fitter grinding things away to make it fit right, that's your boot. And if that does not appeal to you, like still you're like, I, don't, I just kind of want to put the boot on and go. That's an ultra, a Hawks ultra. And Hawks Ultra enters the equation as now 
you know, a, a low volume narrow fit, but you can get it and the CS in a few different liner configurations. You can get it in a out of the box standard liner, like which is still very customizable with our Mimic technology. So it's got special heat moldable material in the ankle area, the full tongue and the calf portion that will fully mold to you and harden in that shape should you want to go down that road. Um, but you can also kind of kick things up a level with the professional series. So one of the boots that the blister has to test is a regular Hawks Ultra 130, but then the Hawks Ultra 130 Professional. Yeah. And the difference there is the Hawks Ultra 130 Professional is the same shell, same plastic, but you now have a Mimic Professional liner and a Professional dual strap. So you're getting kind of World Cup level technology in terms of customization level, in terms of suspension and performance in the boot. Um, to really semi put it on an uneven playing field against the rest of the boots in the world. So this year, one of the things we've done um, is create a like new level of boot that we call the professional series. It lives above and beyond the normal 130, 120, 110, 100 range. And it is kind of our attempt to make like no holds bars, like the, the best ski boot possible. So if you're the type of skier who likes to make, you buy the boot, you ditch the stock liner, you buy an aftermarket liner, you ditch the stock, the stock power strap, you buy an aftermarket power strap. We've done all that work for you kind of thing. So it comes with our best shell technology, the best liner technology, and the best power strap technology kind of all ruled into one. And that is the professional series. And you can get a Redster CS130 Professional, Hawks Ultra 130 Professional, Hawks Ultra 115 Women Professional, as well as a Hawks Prime 130 Professional. Wow. In terms of complete boots. Yep. And then we offer the aftermarket parts like the liners. So if you said, hey, dude, I just bought a Hawks Ultra last year. I'm pretty stoked on it. Uh, but this new liner technology and the power strap sounds kind of cool too. You can get those separately and upgrade your current boot. So we kind of kind of tackle a lot of things with the professional series from giving somebody a one-stop shop, buy it all at once with the complete boot. Uh, but you can also get the Mimic Professional Liner or the Professional Dual Strap aftermarket to upgrade your existing boot and kind of take that to the next level and add a little bit of awesomeness to your ride. We're always looking to add a little bit of awesomeness. Why not? Right, exactly. Sip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <clears throat> long story short, if you are a narrow-footed skier, you might find yourself debating between a boot like the Redster CS or a Hawks Ultra. I would say the determining factors for you could be if you said, hey, I want to have the absolute highest performing boot, absolute most precision, most sensitivity, most suspension, most damping to your boot, it is going to be the Redster CS. It is what the vast majority of our freeride world tour athletes scan when they're in comp mode. Um, but you are seeing more athletes kind of gravitate towards the new Hawks Ultra because it has a 25% more uh, 
stable shelf construction, meaning it bellows less when you flex it. So when you are skiing not only fast on groomers, but skiing choppy, manky snow, it has the stability to just hold you up still. Some athletes are gravitating now towards the new Hawks Ultra because it's, it is more stable. It's less stable than a Redster CS, but you're also saving roughly 700, 800 grams per foot. So if that matters to you in terms of hiking to find your line, that could be an interesting thing to think about. So Hawks Ultra versus Redster CS, it's partly fit, but I think if you fit in one, you will be easily fitting in the other. And then just kind of break it down based on how much would you rather err on the performance side and how much would you rather choose a boot that was lighter and more agile would be an easy way to kind of maybe separate the two. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Mm -hmm. And I would love to tell you I disagree with that. You would? Yeah, just because, you know, I'd like to call you out if you were, if, if I didn't <laughs> oh. agree. Oh, okay. Be like, no, I'm like, that is not. Go for it. <laughs> no, I think that's but, right. I keep thinking about, like, this was a, this was years ago, actually. It was the, I was skiing the first version of the Hawks Ultra, and I think I actually wrote about this in my review, but I still remember this day at Silverton, and I don't know what happened to me, but I was sick as hell, like, I don't think it was like a food poisoning thing, but you know, like that, like I oh, you mean s- like legit sick, legit illness. sick, like meaning like you weren't just like wicked rad that day. Well, I was probably like that, but also, you know, ill. And, um, I like had, you know, like when you're like, wow, I, my energy level is at like three out of 100, you know, and it's Silverton. So you're booting, you're hiking to every single line. And I was just like, I am so freaking grateful that I'm in this lighter weight boot because we're walking a ton at high altitude. And like, I got nothing today. Mm -hmm. So it, it, that actually was like a standout occasion for me where it was like, thank God I'm not in one of my typical, we're riding chairlifts, pretty heavy boot that I often kind of gravitate toward. So anyway, that's Mm -hmm. my little anecdote. I hope that was helpful to someone, one person somewhere in the world. There you go. Yeah. And, and along that lines, that's kind of a good way to describe all of the Hawks boots. Like the, I call it the regular Hawks family, the non XTD boots. So whether you are a narrow foot, a medium foot or a wide foot, there's kind of a, a Hawks platform that makes sense to that type of skier. And one of the things that's made us so successful as a boot brand is that we have this kind of shared platform across these three fits. And what I mean by that is, there's something that ties all of these boots together and it's a, a shared foot shape that we kind of start out with. And so we just kind of scale it down to make a narrow in the Hawks ultra and it's medium version. It's the Hawks prime and in its wide and higher volume version, it's the Hawks magna. And in all of these boots, we use the same liner technology, the same high level plastics, the same geometry, like so the out-of-the-box way it makes you stand, as well as its customization potential. So you can tweak the forward lean in three different settings. All the boots are memory fit compatible. All the boots can be traditionally stretched and ground. All the boots have dual-sided cuff alignment. All the boots now for 21-22, you can find Mimic liner technology in all in the Hawks Ultra Prime and Family, or sorry, Magna families, up until a certain price point. So we're really trying to make the story pretty easy 
if you're talking about hawks, it's just pick the one that fits your foot and then go have fun. Yeah. So there's a bit more of a discussion between a Redster CS and a Hawks Ultra. There's not much discussion between should I be an Ultra, a Prime, or a Magna. Right. Just go it, with... It really becomes whatever your foot shape is at that point. And you can trust in us that we said, hey, you, you're looking at a 130, for example. They're going to use our TrueFlex PU, mimic platinum liners, power shift in terms of adjusting forward lean and flex, cuff alignment. It's, it's all about having all the bells and whistles that each boot should have for its price kind of thing. You will be very happy to learn that today, before we started talking literally four hours and seven minutes ago, <laughs> my friend and neighbor, Matt, asked me, he said, hey, by the way, I'm skiing in a Hawks Ultra. It's pretty damn narrow for me. Matt's trying to show off, like showing his next pour while I'm trying to tell my story about my friend. So anyway, just so you all know what's happening right now, <laughs> Matt is reloading. Anyway, Matt was like, yeah, so the Hawks Ultra, it's just pretty, pretty narrow for me, but I love the boot. What should I do? And I was like, Hawks Prime, man. If, if that's the only thing about the boot you don't like is it's like this thing is pretty narrow for me, that's where you go. Mm -hmm. How do you like them apples? True story. I like them apples. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Shout out to Matt. You didn't tell me that earlier. No, I shout didn't. Shout out to other Matt. No. Yeah. Shout out to the other, no. shout out to my neighbor, oh. Matt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in that conversation, it could go one of two ways, depending on the following. You've got somebody that says, oh, the ultra out of the box feels a little too tight. Do I go prime or do I memory fit a Hawks ultra? Both are completely valid directions to go it's just a conversation that needs the approval of your boat fitter you know somebody who can see your foot inside the shell to say you know i really don't think the ultra is the right thing for you i think you're better off having a prime <clears throat> so wait let's drill down then on this question of like all right so if we're going to heat mold the hawk shell can we actually turn a hawk's ultra say, into the fit of a Hawks Prime. That seems to me what you were just kind of intimating is the word I wish to use. Fancy word. Yes. Yes. I would say, generally speaking, kind of a blanket statement without seeing somebody's foot. Yeah. Yes. It would be possible to take a Prime foot. And, and heat mold and, and a Hawks and Ultra shell. into an Ultra. Huh. No really? I'm, su I'm surprised. No, this surprises me. You can talk to any boot fitter coast to coast about this. The plastics that we use and just how much the boots can expand is no problem. The tricky thing is, let's say you got a Hawks Magna foot shape and you are sold on buying an Ultra. This is where it gets a little tricky, given instep height as well as the available overlap in the shell. So I would say if somebody has a classical prime foot shape you've got two options you can go with a prime out of the box and have a very good time high success rate of having an awesome skiing experience but yeah, let's just say you you used to be either a racer or you rock climb and you're used to tight fitting shoes you used to play hockey you used to tight hockey skates it's all about your tolerance for foot compression 
So we're going a little bit into the weeds here. Yes, we are. But I would totally and safely say if you are a Hawks Prime foot, you can make an Ultra work for you relatively easily. General statement. Your boot fitter who can see your foot and see it inside the shell and say, you know what, you know, Matt said this general rule could apply, but for your specific instance, I don't think it'll work. That I'm totally fine saying, stay prime. So basically what you just said is, you can, somebody's got a quote unquote prime foot, you're like, you can totally get away with the Hawks Ultra if you prefer a pretty snug boot fit, which like, I certainly do. Mm-hmm. That's all you're saying. With the right level of customization. And emphasis on if you prefer a pretty snug, what we might call a performance boot fit. Yes, totally. For the same reason, you might be an ultra foot shape, like 98 millimeter, narrow to medium volume, but you might want to go to a club sport, but it's going to require some boot work. You know, you've always got that, this is my foot shape out of the box. Do I want to go down a level and invest the time in the boot fitting to make the narrower boot work? Or I do no boot work just to continue to annoy you. Exactly. Which is a, which is definitely a value add. Which is less annoying than doing the boot work. Honestly, it's like, okay, perfect. Bye. See you later. You get so mad at me sometimes when you're like, dude, have you, have you gone and like gotten any work done on the boot? And I'm like, no. You're like, damn it. Why not? Well, and it's like, well, now it's just because I realized this is so how. So you want to go down this road? Here we go. All right. All right. Now I got a couple glasses of <laughs> some scotch in me. We're doing this. All right. So nobody in their right mind would buy an intuition liner and not heat mold it. It's like, why do you do that? Why would you right. ever do that? Right. Right. So you, so with Mimic Professional, you had to do the fitting procedure. Yes. There's, there's, there's no way. There's no way. Just so you guys are aware, there's no way to just take a Mimic Professional boot out of the box and go ski it. You actually have to go through the fitting process. It's a custom suit at that point. Yep. You know, it's a tailored suit for your foot. With a regular Hawks Ultra 130 or a regular Redster CS 130, you can wear it out of the box. But I, I guarantee you, it will just be better. Once you go through a basic heat molding process of the liner, only because with our mimic liners, it's not the foam that's molding to you. It's the special plastic that's in the liner around your ankle that will totally shape to your medial side of your ankle versus your lateral side of your ankle and harden in that shape. It's, it's like getting a, as close to a foam liner that you can yeah. without going through the whole nonsense of getting a foam liner. Yeah. So when you tell me you just skied it out of the box and that's <laughs> it, I'm like, awesome, dude. Like, it's like getting a, a mountain bike and just riding the stock suspension setting. Like you should adjust it for your, for your weight and your sag or you should do this, you know? So <laughs> while, yeah, you can just grab the bike and just pump it up to your, like your recommended air pressure, given your weight. The there only, are some things you should, but should the, tweak okay, two things to get the most out of it. Normally, Matt, I'm a pretty freaking busy guy. 
Most days, I don't have, say, time to spend five you're, you're hours on a conversation. You're talking to an equally busy guy. This is, you're falling on deaf ears here. Now, the other thing where the analogy breaks down with mountain bike suspension, if you ski a liner enough, you will start to mold that liner and break it in naturally. This is where you're partly right, partly wrong. Mostly right. <laughs> you're going to break in the foam. No question. You're going to break in the the what we call the vamp material like what makes the outer um of the foot portion like the touch the stuff you can touch and feel you'll break that in you will not break in the mimic material it's heat molded plastic it, it, it's like you saying oh i'm gonna break in this shell by I, skiing it. i do that too powerful do. powerful skier you that's the whistle pig talking. <laughs> yeah, right there. it is. It is. It, so, it instills confidence. So this is, you know, every brand says we got something special and unique, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I really mean this. You know, the mimic liner technology, you can't break in by just going to ski it. Uh, a heat moldable liner, like, and this is no slight to Intuition or, or CDOS or anybody who makes like an EVA style liner, your body heat will soften the foams and you will break it in as you ski it. And anybody who skied any liner knows this, like the foams pack out, they break in, they meaning they shape to your foot. The stuff that makes a mimic liner possible won't do that. It requires an oven to do that. So that's why I'm kind of pushing you towards this, that you, you really should do it because it is different from everything else that we've ever had in the liner world before. And once you do it, you'll totally see what I mean. Um, because it, like a shell, again, you're not going to break in the shell by just skiing it into shape. If this just doesn't work. I mean, the other part here though, is that we have to make this telemark video pretty soon. And probably after that, I might just go full telly all the time, in which case then I also wouldn't need to get that boot molded. Well, then I'll just send boots to Luke instead. Okay. <laughs> as he, as you, you can't see it, viewers, but he rolled his eyes in despair at that. Yeah. All right. I will get, last season was crazy. Um, well, let's back up. Yeah. Real, real talk. So when you had the Mimic Professional Liner molded to you, which, you know, that review has yet to hit, yeah. hit the world, but- there was a process there that yep. was very unique. Yep. And the regular mimic process, to be fair, is is almost half of that. Right. So, you know, as a boot fitter, part of me is like, hey, if you if you love the way a boot feels out of the box, stop. Oh, if he's you stunned. actually love it. Shots fired. Go ski. No, no, but like... Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I thought you were saying... I thought you were going with, if you love the ski, or if you love the feel of the boot out of the box, you're probably like too big. You're in no, too no, big of a I mean boot. Is, That's not what let, you were saying. Let's just say, let, let's just say a, a real legitimate boot fitter has guided you through the fitting process, and you you hate ski boots. You know how much of a pain in the ass it is to find the right ski boot for you. You put whatever boot in the world on your foot, and you're like, that feels like solid gold. Yeah. You stop. That's what I do. That is the goal of boot fitting. Yeah. Generally speaking. Okay. Now, there are things you can do to make it even better. I would argue always. And 
no no boot fitter would ever take the risk. If a customer says, this feels great, I love it. There are very few boot fitters that go, oh, we're not done yet. Hold on. We're going we're gonna to introduce some risk here. <laughs> right, right. And potentially mess it up for you. Like nobody wants that. Like the goal of boot fitting is to make you happy with your boot. Unless you're a World Cup racer. Right. Then we don't that's, care about happiness. It's, we a, don't it's care about, about making your... you faster. Yeah. Like being happy with your boot and being faster are two different things. The problem is I derive happiness out of a good fitting boot, but also the variable of annoying you. So there's a slightly, there's a different, there's a secondary part of the happiness equation. I hate to burst your bubble. <laughs> I'm going to live my life totally fine. <laughs> Whether you find a boot that works for you or not. These boots are working. Perfect. Now I'm happy. And so what, I, what I'm going to... That was gonna, a little bit of reverse psychology there, oh. just to get you to say that. And what I'll do, and this is our process, and again, like I was, I got into the, the boots fairly late into the season, and last season was insane with like the Blister Summit and everything else going through, like launching sure. that. But what we do is I tend to err. I like to go with the way I test boots is I do actually like to go try to ski most stuff stock, which is frankly terrifying, especially in backcountry. That's how we have to test the boots. honestly. And so like you start, we make a new ski boot. Honestly, I have to ski boots, no footbed, just stock insole. See, I don't do that. No liner heat mold, no nothing. Yeah. So I have to literally ski the boot out of the box. Yeah. Okay. So basically, is, you've been giving brutal. me you've been giving yeah. me crap for like the last hour. We do yeah. actually the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Thank so you, go, people. I hope need, for the you, seven of you still listening to this. You, but you're not just testing a boot out of the box. You and and, and, <laughs> and I know you'll do it. You will go get this thing yeah. fitted. I, I'm just giving you a hard time. But there's there's something to be said for how a boot fits and feels out of the box. No question. But there is something to be said for the amount of work that any brand puts in to say, we can customize this to yeah. make it better. Yeah, fair. You know, and I think when people who, who buy any boot, to yeah. be honest, work with their boot fitter to learn more about what's going to make that boot work better for their foot, there is fantastic technology now that wasn't there five years ago that will help them enjoy that boot even more. So, yeah. Okay. So to sum this okay. up and keep it moving, if you have a boot that where you can heat mold the liner and or heat mold the shell, you've all heard Matt now say for like about an hour, go customize it. It is worth your time to do that. So maybe I'll we put this, <laughs> maybe I'll put this note in the intro and just be like, Hey, when you hit, you know, minute 27, you can go ahead and just fast forward for the next hour and then pick it up from there. Or if you want to hear a whiskey rant yeah. about customization. Stay tuned. Yeah. Don't, don't skip a mm-hmm. thing. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically my process. And okay, like we, we will keep it moving. But like, yeah, I do like to ski stuff out of the box with that professional with that professional series, Hawks, I did not go ski it out of the box because you can't, right? And so I went and we did all the boot work and all that jazz and then mm-hmm. went and skied it. And just like we do around here, I do just want some more time in these things. And that's why God created early season. There you go. Yeah. Where are we going? Speaking Let's keep this moving. Of, oh, what? Um, Forget that. Let's no. not keep this moving. Let's go with another <laughs> tangent. The that people, was a super tangent. People, Has it snowed anywhere near you yet? It snowed in Crested Butte. Um, a yeah. few weeks ago, but it was like one snowfall. And yeah. um, 
so we're not like stacking snow yet. Dude, like yeah. I just said this, I think, in the last gear 30. The fall here is so ridiculously beautiful. It's like almost painful. It's like the beauty is overwhelming. And I'm I'm not even I was also talking to my neighbor Matt oh, this today. Is like, the whistle last night I had to run to the grocery store because I ran out of food like three days ago. And so like I ran down to the grocery store to, <laughs> and like just on the way out, there's the most ridiculous sunset, like kind of over Kebler Pass that direction. And I'm like, this was a grocery store run. And the point <laughs> Matt just fell over. <laughs> This is important. My point where I'm going with this is like the stupid leaves are popping off insane. And I'm like, mountain biking around here in September and early October might be the greatest thing in the world. That was a tangent. You were asking about snowfall and I went to grocery store runs and sunsets and it's just true. I, hey, life is beautiful, man. Life is beautiful. There you go. It's is I just, beautiful. but man, here in the fall and mountain biking here in the fall is my favorite. The leaves, wow. And sunsets. Sunset leaves. And the temperatures for riding, it's mint. It is the definition of mint. I don't want it to snow. I, this happened to me last year, too. I was like, I don't want it to snow. I'm not ready to transition. Well, to be honest, it doesn't need to snow now, you know? Well. And that's, that's the thing I run into here, is that it's September, almost, you know, barely October, you're at that point where the weather in the Alps will change like freaking crazy. Hmm. And we it will snow, you know? And I'm like, I don't need that yet. It's not enough snow to actually go skiing, so stop it. <laughs> don't do that to me. Yeah. It's still bike season. Yeah. I still have a couple runs left in me. Yeah. Luke Kappa, by the way, Luke is fully ready, is always ready for snow, <laughs> always wants to start skiing right now. Just FYI. You know, hearing you talk about Luke and his diet, yeah. His caffeine intake. I'm I'm worried for Luke. We should all be worried for Luke at all times, really, is what I've come to see. Man. I mean Luke, if you're listening to this, hang in there, buddy. <laughs> Don't go to the dark side. Hey, just so all you listeners are aware, this is my Friday night. It is not this my is, Friday night. Th- this is your pre This is afternoon. called me I, this is war it's called work, Matt. This isn't work. Well, no, this is not work. What I'm supposed to be doing, but not doing, that is the work. Sure. Yeah. So I think you're trying to drum up sympathy, like, yo, this is my Friday night, and I'm instead having this conversation. I'm complaining that there's- My my work day has gone from (laughs) 7 a.m. till now midnight 30. Yeah, it's actually midnight 30. I'm not complaining. I know. I just, I feel bad. You've made me feel guilty about Luke- and you should feel bad for Elba. She's outside just sharpening the knives right now. No, she's okay. We because we had her on earlier. Actually, <laughs> we just the people aren't. Gonna, <laughs> you cleared it. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. Like, this is okay, right? We're okay. So we're good now. No, she's very she's very sweet, and you're lucky to have her in your life, and that she's so <laughs> understanding. But how could she not be? Because you know we're doing this Gear Thirty podcast instead of you hanging out with your lovely girlfriend. She's. Just jealous she's not here right now, probably. That's right, what I think. getting to, you know, not yeah. so much probably for you, but to get to have a lovely conversation with me. Well, I mean. She's know. actually the more interesting person. Let's just be Dude, frank. She is. No, for I'm, sure. I'm on that side, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, she's definitely no. more interesting than you. We, so the fact we, that we, you we and I. We get into this that, that my dad thinks she's a spy. I mean, I kind of think that too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Everybody does. So this is, we're kind of blowing our cover. The CIA is probably going to be pretty pissed. Yeah. But, um, so my, my dad, super tangent here, he was a ranger in Vietnam and actually taught at the ranger uh, school. So he's wow very high level, um, knows his shit. And he's like, <laughs> the first FaceTime we had between Alba and my parents, afterwards, he's like, that girl's a spy. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> he's like, he's like, don't fuck this up. Yeah. You're going to be gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like clear liquid poison stuff. Dude, like, I'll, no, I'll just disappear. There's just oh. no body after this. Oh, okay. no. Yeah. Well, now that you said that, if you disappear, I'll probably know what happened. So then I'm going to disappear. Yeah. You're in now. Uh, so. Sorry. Because I do not yeah. really believe that much in your ability to not mess up that relationship. So that means you and I are both basically dead. Whoa, whoa, harsh. You, we should have eaten more food today. Apparently. Yeah, we bet definitely Before. should have. Wow. All right. <laughs> I don't know where that's, what's going to get put into the podcast. Oh, that's all staying. That's all. That should stay. That should stay. Yeah. She'll appreciate the shout out. Yeah. You know? But then yeah. murder you and then me. But appreciate it still. Yeah. So she'll be fine. But, she'll be so fine. she will be appreciative and we'll just be dead. Yeah. But we did. She said, I can come to Austria and there, and I'm going to stay with you guys at some point. No, because we'll be dead. All right. That's when she's going to kill us. Oh, man. So now this I can't come. Such a nightmare. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll figure it out. When you get here, we'll figure it out. Okay. We'll, we'll have a plan. Oh, man. That'd be two against one. This is the worst podcast ever because it's literally <laughs> going to result in our deaths. And so by <laughs> definition, that means it is the worst podcast. Okay, well, maybe before we die, we'll talk about some boots again. Yeah, let's keep it moving. So, we just had a a lovely conversation about the Hawks family. Yep. Maybe from regular Hawks, somebody might be interested to say, well, what do I do if I'm between a regular Hawks boot or a Hawks extended? Okay. The XCD family. Yep. So, the simple way to think about Hawks Extended, whether that's the Ultra or the Prime Fit, is that Hawks Extended is kind of blending the worlds of Alpine and Backcountry together. So you're seeing all of the fit, all of the geometry, all of the Alpine performance of the regular Hawks family married with these backland features that we have in ski touring. So you're seeing our free lock, ski walk mechanism, frictionless pivot um, that binds the cuff and the shell together, as well as, you know, different types of, you know, grip walk soles and tech inserts, all this stuff. So, so here it's really all about, you know, talking and weighing how off-piste and on-piste and touring am I going to get with my setup. So with Hawks Extended you're looking for that kind of elite level, you know, all mountain boot slash touring boot that can do a bit of both. And so we like to position those boots as kind of that. If you had to pick one boot for touring and all mountain, it would be a Hawks extended, so to speak. And that was really the goal of the boot was to give the same fit same skiing performance, same geometry, everything about regular Hawks into the touring world. 
because at the time when Hawks Ultra Extended came to market, you really had to pick between an Alpine boot that fit a certain way and a Touring boot that was a different way. So there was a real disconnect um, between those two, and people knew it. People were like, well, my Touring boot doesn't fit like my Alpine boot. That was really the thing we tried to solve with Hawks Extended. And for this year, um, Hawks Ultra Extended is basically a carryover, so there's no real changes to it. Same colors, graphics, fit, plastics, everything. There are some new additions in Hawks Prime Extended. So one of the things that uh, the North American market did last year, primarily the U.S. market, was we they just brought in the tech insert flavors of Hawks Prime Extended. So a 120 and a 130 model. But in Europe, we had much, you know, we had the 110, 100, and below without tech inserts. And just the way everything landed with COVID happening and ski resorts not being open, everybody wanted a boot with like legit touring capability. So the boots that didn't have tech inserts, those are now dead. Those are gone. So if you're looking at a Hawks Ultra Extended or Prime Extended, every model will now have tech inserts built into it. And one of the things that people need to be aware of is we're doing something a little new in the ski boot industry from a uh, how it arrives to you out of the box kind of setup. You will notice in the in the naming of Hawks Extended a new abbreviation uh, CT or HT, and this has some real world binding applications based on what kind of binding you're using. So CT stands for complete tech. It means there's tech inserts in the toe and the heel of the boot, kind of a traditional setup of things. But at the very opening price point, you will see Hawks Prime HT, hybrid tech. So this is tech inserts that are just in the toe of the boot, not in the heel. So for anybody using a shift binding, a kingpin, a new Duke PT or a cast setup, you know, those bindings only require tech inserts in the toe, not the heel. So I think we are the only manufacturer uh, making boots that actually kind of correspond to that setup. And that is new for this year within Hawks Prime Extended. First of all, thank God someone is introducing more freaking initials and stuff in boots because right? Lord knows... Ooh, we needed more. Lord knows... <laughs> We've had a been running a real global shortage on that front. So this is only for Prime, not for Hawks Ultra. Extended. So the Ultra Extended, given its fit and honestly price point, it tends to be positioned for a more core audience. Prime Extended, because of its fit and the price points it goes down to, has a much broader appeal. And originally, we thought, you know what, Prime Extended, just like Hawks, regular Prime, appeals to so many people. Yeah. You know, how you define all mountain, for some people, is just skiing on piste. Right, which is it's not just, all they, mountain, and you know, those people need yeah. to learn they're wrong. But those people think, I'm skiing all over the mountain on all the trails, therefore all mountain, right? Wow. But that's a real thing that 
people think. Wow. And we made, in the first year of Hawks Prime Extended, some boots with tech inserts and some boots without tech inserts to kind of appeal to both of um, those skier types. And the reason we did that, the reason we built the molds in that way, because you have to kind of go into the whole project being able to say, okay, we're going to configure the molds and build them in a such a way to allow for tech inserts and to take that out and have a normal non-tech insert interface kind of thing. And not many brands are kind of thinking this way, to be honest. And to have the appeal of Hawks Prime on a global scale applied to Extended, we thought that would have been a good way to go forward. But then the pandemic hit last year, and everybody went nuts for touring. Ski resorts were either fully closed, or they said, you know, we'll allow you guys to hike up or skin up, but it's all on you. Like, we're not going to prepare anything and do anything. And so we quickly realized we have to add tech inserts to Hawks Prime Extended. And the reason we're doing this for Prime Extended is because Ultra Extended simply isn't built this way. It does not have the modularity or the Lego capability to say, yes, tech inserts or no tech inserts or just in the toe. But we kind of thought this way for Prime Extended. And so we have the capability to do this. We have the potential to say, hey, are you somebody who's buying a 2,000 gram ski boot going touring? Now, just extend that out. Paint the picture of who is buying a 2,000 gram ski boot. Are they buying a 300 gram low-tech binding? Typically not. They're probably, if they're ever going to buy a touring binding, it's going to be something in the hybrid category, which is tech inserts in the toe, normal heel in the rear. And that means a shift binding, a kingpin, Duke PT, potentially a cast setup, but that, that's a bit more right. on the super bro pro side of things. <laughs> super, but, super bro pro. Obviously. Yeah. You know? Um, and the reason we do this, to be just straight honest with you guys, if you had a set of tech inserts on the table, the tech inserts quite often cost more than the shell and the cuff. Tech inserts are one of the most expensive parts of a ski boot, by far. So when you ask yourself, hey, why aren't touring boots cheaper? Why don't they come down to a more attainable price point? Typically, touring boots are playing with very expensive plastics, expensive liner constructions, and these crazy things called tech inserts. And tech inserts are made with a very expensive process called investment casting or lost wax casting. And you guys can Google these videos on YouTube to find out more about this. But this is the same process that Ferrari builds their engine blocks from. It's a very complicated process to, in order to deliver the right level of material hardness, the right level of surface finishing, and just overall tolerances and dimension quality required for a tech insert to have. And if anybody's been in this industry or in this scene for long enough, you'll remember a certain brand had a tech insert failure 
about 12, 13 years ago, which really hurt somebody. A tech insert failed and tore out of the ski boot. Never again will a brand make that mistake, you know? And so in order to make sure you don't have a failure like that, any brand that's making a touring boot with tech inserts, they have to go down the road of investment casting. And it is just incredibly expensive to do this. And if you, I'm not gonna bore you with the details now, but if you just Google it on YouTube, watch the videos of how investment casting is done, and you will totally understand why these are one of the most expensive parts to your ski boot. These little metal parts in the toe and the heel. And when you think of it that way, you know, from a, from a business, from a specification standpoint, um, especially with a boot that weighs 2,000 grams, you know, you start to think about who is that yeah. touring skier yeah. who's buying a full PU 2,000 gram 100 flex ski boot. 100 flex. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe. We'll see. Um, Sorry, I was raising my hand, being like, who buys a 2,000? You, you, you heard 2,000 grand yeah. P, and you're like, and oh, I was like, me, I'm me. in. Uh, yeah, oops. Um, but, you, you know, touring skiers, you know, as much as we don't want to talk about weight in a good way, you know, touring skiers very much say, hey, I want this type of ski with this type of binding with this type of boot. They really look at the overall totality of their their gear setup you know for heavy or for light and the same thing applies you know you get the free ride world tour athletes who are looking for race boots with cast inserts and a cast binding on a 2400 gram ski you know that's a an overall comprehensive approach to that type of skiing i i, I struggle to see the touring skier who says i want a 2000 gram boot with a 300 gram binding. Right. You know, short of the whole hand me down, this is my old touring binding, please take it so you can go touring right. type of setup. Um, even then, I would still say a, probably a different boot you should buy if you know you're getting that kind of hand me down low tech binding. Um, when you look at somebody who's buying a 2000 gram 100 flex style touring boot, you know, and to be honest, most people buying shift bindings last year, very few also bought skins. Hmm. You know, you kind of, when you talk to the retailers of what they're selling, kind of a complete package setup, very few people bought the tech insert boot, the shift binding, and the skins. You know, part of it is they just couldn't afford it. Part of it is, you know, I'm buying into the future of versatility. Mm -hmm. I want one thing that kind of does everything. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, Hey, hundred percent valid approach. Um, so what we decided on the low end of prime extended, so you're talking about the men's 100 and the women's 85. It's a, a system set up that we call hybrid tech where it's tech inserts in just the toe. Because if you look at, you know, who's buying that setup, if they actually are going touring, they're most likely buying a shift or a kingpin or a duke. Yep. Let's be honest. Yeah. You know, that person's first foray into touring is not the 300 gram low tech binding. It's too much of a step. So 
given that tech inserts are crazy expensive and most touring consumers at that level are buying a hybrid binding, we built a boot for that. Okay. That took so, you, that took you forever, but I, I, I'm well, with you on that. Yeah. Like no other brand is building boots that way. Yeah. It's so interesting. I wanted to paint the picture painstakingly in a clear way. Painstakingly clear. Yeah. And, but once you're at the 110, the 120 or the 130, it's tech inserts front and rear. Yeah. Because just to have maximum binding versatility and, you know, looking at our athletes, you know, Sage, for example, Sage will have a prime extended 130 that he's got with an STH 16, a shift and a backland binding, you know, a, a, a pure TLT yeah. setup. All on the same ski, all on backland 117s, just depending what his adventure is doing that day. Yep. So we decided to say, you know, you know, at the high end level, you're paying a lot of money for a boot. You're going to get all the versatility that you need kind of thing. So that would, I would just say is the thing to be aware when looking at Hawks prime extended boots, we have a new setup, either complete tech or hybrid tech. You know, kind of depending your engagement level with touring. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's an on ramp. You've provided yeah. an you've sort of future proofed slash on ramped to wildly yeah. mix metaphors. I don't think future proofing is actually a metaphor. Future ramp. You future ramped. Oh my god. The proof. Yeah, you future ramped the proof. But again, and this is specifically and exclusively to prime 100 and prime 85 flex yeah prime prime extended 100, 100. for men yeah. and prime extended 85 for women and we also make a quote-unquote tweener boot so prime extended 80 like a junior kind of setup on the same platform so bottom line while i am delighted that we've just spent like four hours on this specific topic this mm. is really something that's going to be most useful for shop folks to know so that when somebody comes into the store they're getting a sense of who this customer is and what they're looking for this i think is going to be correct me if you think i'm wrong but it sounds like this is going to be a product where shop folks are like i've got the boot for you more than someone coming in being like i know exactly what i want and it is i listened to this 17 hour conversation with matt and jonathan and i need that prime 100 xtd ht boot booyah yeah. Well, yes. Short answer, <laughs> I would agree with you. But we know people are, I, I, I know for a fact, just being on the internet, people are hitting me up on bootfitter forums going, what is this on your website? Huh. Okay. So, so there are people who, this is a talk for the shop employee, no question. But also for people, if you were to go to atomic.com right now, you're like, what is What's this? CTHT. Okay. Yeah. And only because no other brand is, is doing it yet. But I think it's an important thing because these bindings exist. Yeah. You know, and maybe other brands do it. You know, there's no patent here. It's just how do you configure your boot kind of thing. And I think brands will honestly take note of it because of the cost of tech inserts. Yeah. And what that entry level style boot would be paired with from a binding perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, good. Now I'm sure that on the Atomic website, when it says CTHT, 
Atomic's just going to bake this podcast player like right under that and be like, if you're wondering what CTHT is, you should listen to this multi. It, it's time stamped to hour yeah. three, minute 42. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what Atomic is going to do and should do, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Except probably I mean, skip the timestamps and make people just start at the beginning and just wait. Make through. them suffer for the whole thing yeah. to figure out why this podcast is on this particular booth. Yes. 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 That's... I'll talk to marketing okay. on Monday okay. and uh, we'll, we'll do that. Okay. Um, my God, <laughs> we need to get out. What do we still need to go over? We bit off. Yeah. I mean, when you started at the top where you're like, we make 120 different boots. I was like, oh no. No, don't do it. No, but if, if you go through the whole catalog, yeah. you know, especially when we, if you consider what's called special makeups. So in Europe, certain chains are big enough they buy certain boots from us we say hey this is your unique colorway on this oh, model. right unique colorways you go. We've, we've been through that ground that territory mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm still waiting on my white or translucent something boot i don't even remember yeah, gonna, translucent white it's gonna look super <laughs> gross you're gonna love it i told you white is my favorite boot color still is mm-hmm. yeah i know that was big. White's big. And you told me, was it Russia? Who likes white? Which country likes the white boots? Yeah. Um, it depends Japan. on if you're talking typically. So men versus women, it kind of can differ. Okay. But Russia, I would say is the, if you got a white boot, solid gold. In Russia. Yeah. All right. I need to mm-hmm. ski. Japan is blue. That's right. Which is bad for us. Ah, yeah. 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 Red. It's like, ugh, Gross. So I need to start skiing exclusively in Russia. There you go. Uh, St. Petersburg. Yeah. (laughs) You know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. That one was for us. There you go. That was for us. Um, Are we literally done? We can't possibly, I can't even imagine we're done. Is that it? It depends how many backland listeners you have. Oh, we should definitely go backland. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People people care. This will be honestly pretty quick. There is not much new to Backland because last year was a pretty good uh, step up for the Backland family. Backland generally gets what we call NGT, new graphic technology. So there's some new colorways involved. And there's no change to Backland Carbon. So that boot pretty much stays the same besides looking different. But if you look at the naming of the boots, you'll see there's a couple new boots. Backland Pro CL and Backland Expert CL. So with these two models, we were told that the boots could be a little bit stiffer in relation to the rest of the range. Um, like there was a pretty big gap between where Backland Pro was and where Backland Carbon is. Mm-hmm. So if you were to listen to our plastics discussion from a couple years ago, one of the things we can do to our plastics is mix into the plastic little carbon fibers, like literal like carbon hairs, um, the way rebar helps reinforce concrete. Think of that metaphor. And so Backland Pro CL and Backland Expert CL, the CL means the plastic is carbon loaded. So these boots have a more substantial lower shell this year. 
for better skiing performance. So small update, but just a, a little tidbit on all of those boots just skiing as best as they can, which when you're in that kind of one kilogram boot realm is really important. And that's where we're playing just for, so people know with the Backland yeah. series, we're looking at one kilo ish. Yeah. Okay. Ish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, TLT only binding, like you can't put the Backland into a shift. Yep. So that kind of tells you what kind of yep. category of boot binding ski that you're in. And within that, the Backland carbon is more or less the same. There's a bit more red to it given atomic. Um, <laughs> but the pro CL and the expert CL. So if you're in that kind of mid part of the backland range, you're going to get more skiing performance than last year. Could you, if I come to Austria, will you make me a backland pro HT just for me though? We'll make you a backland pro HT CS. Oh, that's dope. Boom. Backland pro club sport. It'll, pro. it'll be a backland, <laughs> an Alpine norm backland boot. <laughs> Oh my God. Someone should cut us off. Um, Sorry. That's okay. No, that's good. That's good. Good news on the backland. But that's that's the whole range. So we've gone from Redster Oof. TI, like the most world cuppy of boots. World cuppy. To backland, you know, under a kilo at some point hmm. and everything in between. Wow. And I, I feel sorry for anybody who's stayed with us that... I don't feel sorry for them. I'm honestly just impressed. <laughs> I really am impressed. Because we had, we gave the award for anybody mm. who stayed with this part for the, the, this long as the Gold Star Trooper. Gold award. Star Trooper. Gold Star Trooper. Are we issuing another Gold Star Trooper award or is it a different award this time? A Platinum Star Trooper? Platinum Star. Like if they, maybe if they listened all the way through on the Gold Star Trooper one, and then they listened all the way through on this, then you are definitely Platinum Star Trooper, HT. Definitely. definitely no, that's Platinum Platinum, platinum Star, Star Trooper CT. CT. Yeah. CT. Complete. Yeah. Complete deck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. We, we are now officially, we've hit five hours, it, not in recorded time, but in this conversation today. I did not see my Friday going this way. It is now, in fairness to you, you've now hit past 1 a.m. Here we are. Here you are. You're looking this actually, my, you're looking good. You're holding my, up well. This is, this is my Friday slash Saturday now. Here we are. Um, I'm going to open the door to my office. I hope I have a girlfriend. On the other oh, side of that door. Dude, she so. might, you might, you might open the door and there's those red laser dots on your forehead. No, on my chest, there's like two dots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't open that door. Or a note that says, yeah, when you're done talking to Jonathan, give me a call. <laughs> if you get the note and not the laser dots on your chest, I think you're, that was a massive, like great, best, po- best possible outcome yeah. for you. Yeah. Best possible outcome. Um, so if, just say, if, if you are listening to this, Elba, yeah, you're the best. Many apologies. Not only did I miss dinner, yeah, but I'm I'm very late to everything. Yeah, and I love you more than anything else. And you there are you the go. best, and you are more interesting than both of us combined, for Fact. sure. We mm-hmm. would love it if you didn't murder us. I mean, or or Matt is okay, but like, please Let's start don't. There. Yeah, yeah. Let's like, start with me first. Yeah, I would like you to not murder me because I think you're really nice and cool and really understanding and patient. <laughs> And uh, 
it's funny. I'm actually like 0.02% worried about this. <laughs> it's higher for me. <laughs> yeah, it should be. <laughs> um, let's, we got to wrap though with our, what we're celebrating this week's segment. I'm celebrating not being sniped by my <laughs> But we don't know if that's happened yet. So what, what we are celebrating. Yeah. So one of my favorite TV shows hmm. is The Wire. Same. Have you seen The Wire? Of course. Dude, of course. I actually, I've been rewatching it too. So here we are. Perfect. You're right. Alba, this is where we go. Alba has never seen The Wire. And so we are now, I'm rewatching it. She's watching it for the first time. We're in season two. And she's just like, this is the best show I've ever seen. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. No. So she's super stoked in it. Yeah. And we need to give a shout out. We need to give a shout out to Michael Williams. McNutty. We got a McNutty. No. All day. No. Yeah. Omar. Come on. Omar. Oh, sure. Of course. Omar. Yeah. The crazy thing about The Wire, I was actually saving this. I was going to talk about this with Cody on our upcoming oh, nice. review. I get news. it. Yeah, you get it. Sorry, Cody. Omar is my favorite TV character of all time. Wow. Yeah. Full stop. Not even, mm-hmm. it's like, there are obviously other contenders in the category, but for me personally, it's Omar. So good. He's so good. And the f- the amazing thing about that show, though, is if someone wanted to do the like best TV characters of all time, I'm also a massive Stringer Bell fan, you know? Like there are multiple yeah. characters that could like legitimately, if someone was like, this is my favorite character. I mean, you just, you just were talking about mm-hmm. McNulty and yeah. so, yeah, but no, I honestly, no Stringer. So this was my first, um, experience with Idris Elba. Right? You mean the first time I, around when the wire ran? Yeah. When I yeah. first watched yeah. it. Same. I had no, I had, Same. I had no idea. Same. He was British. Yeah, me neither. He pulled off that role. Yeah. Like, I had no question in my mind that he was American, knew the inner city hood life. Yep. You know, I was just like, this dude is like on point. Yeah. And then like years later, I found out he was British. It's just just mind blowing how he legitimately just en- en- enveloped that character totally and portrayed it like so stringer bell hands down up there with one of my favorite characters of all time no question yeah 100 percent. that's awesome that you guys are you're re-watching it alba's seen it for the first time and i'm in yeah i'm in season three and i, I keep nice. forgetting i've forgotten to mention this on the last couple reviewing the news with cody and and then mm-hmm. and then michael k williams passed away and I was so like, sad. yeah. And um, mm-hmm. anyway, um, so I think this week, what we're celebrating, we're going to raise a glass to Alba and Omar. <laughs> to Alba and Omar. Cheers. There we are. Cheers. All right, man. On that note, uh, it is now 5.09. I've officially missed the entire Friday workday, but I'm going to, I guess, go to work now. You should probably go to bed and see if you still have a girlfriend. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, I don't know. Once again, to the, anyone listening, you're either welcome or we apologize, but not really. Um, you should know by now. If you're listening to one of our podcasts, this is what you're getting into. Probably what you're getting into. Right? I mean, still sorry, but... 
Not really. Because it's so long, but yeah, not really. Not really. Um, I like that we took shots at Immanuel Kant in this episode. You did. You did. So we'll, we'll talk about this no. after the fact. I hate Kant. But, um, dude, I'm still a Kant. Dude, uh, Kant's the bomb. No, it's so not. good. So um, good. Okay. Hey, man. Good luck with everything you've got going so, on. We got to end this now. On yeah. The content yeah. Before it gets heated and weird. Yeah. For everybody. Okay. Um, uh, good luck with everything. It is going to be ski season soon. I will get those liners molded in the club sport. We will be reporting on the Hawks professional or professional mm-hmm. Hawks, whatever we call this stuff. It's really hard to keep clear these days the names don't really change so it's kind of easy all right easy for you uh i think i think our work here is done for now (laughs) for now (laughs) (laughs) important caveat oh and people can look forward to our upcoming co-hosting of bikes and big ideas because i definitely want to make that happen like asap basically i'm gonna talk if you if you love me talking about boots you're going to love me sitting third wheel to a bike pod- podcast. So here we go. <laughs> no, you're co-hosting this one. You're oh, not. Really? You're, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're not third wheel. You're, okay. You'll be the co-host. Okay. Official right, co-host okay. of Bikes and Big Ideas. Um, Stopped. So let's, uh, don't forget to, you know, be in touch with the, the right people, people on this. Yeah. Peoples. Oh. And. Uh, well, I will message her tomorrow. Okay. Oh, little teaser there. Little teaser there. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. on Bikes and Big Ideas, we have an upcoming episode in addition to this that you are very excited about with a certain him. I am going to be just like over yeah. here giddy. I, I already, yeah, I already am. This is, this totally is, cool. uh, yeah. 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 All right, dude. Um, go get some sleep. Hope you're not single now and talk to you soon. <laughs> Jonathan, thanks for the conversation. It's always fun. <laughs> Later, Matt. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. And if you are enjoying these conversations, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 and leave us that five-star rating in Apple Podcasts because we are getting closer and closer to 500 ratings, which means that we then have to go make not only a Telemark video, but a snowboard video too. So let's make that happen. And thank you to those of you who have already taken a minute to leave us a rating and write a review. We do read those reviews. We very much appreciate it. Maybe kind of even those of you who still incorrectly after all this time believe that we think lightweight gear is always bad. It is not. That is not what we think. But lightweight gear is sometimes the wrong tool for the job which we have now tried to clarify multiple times on this very podcast. But whatever, you do you. Anyway, I also want to say thanks to Matt for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again on Monday, where Cody Townsend is back on our Blister podcast to once again review the news. Okay, bye everybody and have a great weekend.